and I'm looking forward to this morning together and the, the teaching as we continue in our series of holy ruptures. And uh, this morning we want to look at what's sometimes called the clobber passages, uh, clobbering um, those who experience sexuality, maybe different than um, the norm or different than me or different um, than you. And um, there's two passages, one in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and one in Timothy chapter 1. And some of the big ideas that I I'm, I'm hope that you're catching in this series, and I used this metaphor last, uh, last week, and it's what kind of meal is Paul preparing? And um, when I was getting doing the the cooking for Ellie's grad party I was I was trying to get like my my homemade refried beans like uh, I hadn't done that very much and I was trying to hone in like the the perfect recipe for me you know and uh, one of the things that I, I learned is that uh, a lot of times, uh, this herb, epizote, is used in uh, traditional refried beans in, in Mexico and uh, Guatemala. And I would say it, it sort of acts like um, a bay leaf does. Like, I don't know if you've ever debated bay leaves with people. Like, does it really make a difference if you throw that in the stew? Does epizote, well, you know, what, is, what does that do? Um, and I, I remember going... So I, I went to the Mexican, the grocery store, La Bamba, in uh, Hopkins, and they were fresh out of Epizote, and um, she apologized but said, I could get away with using oregano as, uh, as, a, as a substitute. So anyway, I, I was happy with the beans and how they turned out, and I used oregano as a sub substitute for epizote. And um, maybe this, this theme will carry uh, through today's teaching. But I, I just want to back up and, and tell a story here. A couple years ago, uh, if you remember Brian and Beth Meaden, and they... Uh, directed the Kairos Discipleship Program in Seattle. And uh, they flew me out to do a week-long teaching. I did my Leviticus, the Law of Love, um, those seven lessons um, through the course of, of the week. And it was a brilliant time. We had just tons of fun, and it's beautiful out there, and it was really great. Um, and after the first day of teaching... Um, I could tell this one student was just, was like the sharpest one in the room. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'll just call her Becca. And, um, I, I could just tell that was one of their, their best students, uh, during the year. And, and, uh, Brian and Beth confirm like, yeah, she's 
pretty amazing. It's the kind of person where it's like, I don't know what you're going to do in life, but if I, if I could hire you to do something, I absolutely uh, would. She was uh, phenomenal. And, um, you know, one of the things uh, Brian and Beth told me about is like at the beginning of the year, she, she came out to this cohort of students that, that she was gay. Um, and it was interesting for this, this crew um, to kind of wrestle with maybe the backgrounds that they grew up with coming to this time. And she herself had to do a lot of wrestling with the background that she came up with, came up with and, and being honest about her orientation and also her, like, her faith, her love for the scriptures, her love for God, her desire for ministry, all of those, those things were, all of them were a part of who she was. There was this other student, I'll call her uh, Brittany, who was coming from a pretty uh, troubled background, um, had uh, high school experiences, were kind of devastating. Um, she would say I was, she was trying to get a lot of her identity and worth out of relationships with guys who then um, took advantage of her sexually. And um, it was, it was, ends up being kind of ruinous and was hoping that kind of this gap year with Kairos could be a part of her healing and being put back together and kind of getting centered um, in, a, in a life with God. And it, what stood out, this was maybe about day three, I was there and I was getting the room set up. I was getting the computer hooked up and uh, uh, Brittany was kind of in the corner of the room with one of the other um, Kairos staff members. And I just overheard her trying to process and she was trying to process Becca being a part of the school. Um, she was really wrestling that a gay student would be allowed to be there and she just, and this is the, the line that stood out to me, I just don't understand how someone with that kind of lifestyle could be a part of a discipleship program. Um, and I, I found like all of those words and triggers and what she was saying, I recognize those stock phrases um, from the tradition I, I grew up in. But it was um, such an obvious like paradox of realities because I, I look at Becca's life and I'm like, what lifestyle is problematic here? <laughs> Someone who grew up always um, going to church, self-selecting for extra Bible studies, going on month, uh, you know, summer missions trips. Uh, doing a gap year for a discipleship program, like all in for love of God and Jesus and the, the scriptures and a, a life that uh, matters with God. Like that's Becca's lifestyle. But yet somehow in a uh, uh, disclosure of my orientation as gay was disequilibrating to the fact that I, you know, for... Brittany, this person, that equates to 
someone who doesn't love God is sexually deviant and irresponsible and, and all the rest. So I want to interrogate kind of that experience and as a backdrop as far as how we, we look into these passages. And also maybe as, you know, a screen as I've had to interrogate my own biases and um, have them ruptured in many ways and to see how what sometimes I considered being faithful to the text um, actually uh, wasn't and um, caused a lot of deep harm. So that's the story I wanted to um, orient this morning with and this question of what kind of meal is Paul preparing in these passages and are some of these words main courses or are they um, seasonal herbs, seasoning herbs? Um, those are metaphors I'm going to use. So last week, if you weren't with us, we looked at Romans 1. And this, this was the main course or what the meal that Paul was preparing is what is declared as justice and peace to you by the empire is a fiction, the Roman Empire. They call you to give allegiance and faith to the empire so you will receive its salvation. This is a deceptive illusion. So that's kind of the big idea that Paul's painting in Romans chapter 1. And then we thought there really isn't any way someone living in Rome in that time wouldn't have seen that list as... Exhibit A of the royal house or the emperors. Look at the royal house. This is not a revelation of righteousness or divine favor. It is a revelation of wickedness and divine wrath. Um, and I would hold up Emperor Caligula as exhibit A of like just uh, the worst abuses of humanity and of in, like this injustice and this feeling of impunity overall, uh, who then had it coming to him. And uh, one of the Roman guards that he raped was a part of the coup that killed him. And he took his short sword and, and shoved it up his genitals. And like, uh, you have this passage of men who did shameless acts to men and received in themselves the due penalty of um, their error. Um, it would be hard living at that, that time to not have Emperor Caligula and then Nero as exhibit A of not divine righteousness, but of an example of wickedness. So that was the, the main course or the main meal that Paul is preparing. And I'd say like, these are meals that still need to be prepared today. Uh, they're, they're, they're still relevant. So the, the first a uh, meal I want us to consider is in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to uh, read the verses leading up to kind of what are considered the clobber passages. So we just consider first, not these proof texts, but we consider the main point or the main meal that Paul is making. 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia... Stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, 
Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So you see, okay, there's teachers who are getting hung up uh, and their teaching isn't advancing God's work. It's getting hung up on things that don't go towards the goal. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these. What's these? Well, some teachers have departed from the command of love uh, and their motives aren't coming from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So they're dogmatic about what they don't know what they're talking about. Um, so this is an encouragement to Timothy to stand against this this. Uh, of what, what is happening. And I think there's some important uh, points in here that, that carry forward. Here's uh, verse 8 and 9. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers. So here's the a, here's a thing. The law is good, but remember, it it's only as like a backstop to prevent the worst of human abuses. Um, it doesn't actually, there. it can't promote the goal of, of love. Um, I think of, uh, signs that you see and have you ever had have you ever come across a weird sign and if you can remember it go ahead and put it in the in the chat but and you had this realization like that sign is there because someone actually tried to do that right um, this is one from Australia that's just check under your car before driving away so apparently <laughs> you're you're in an area where there's going to be animals is that a penguin I, I i don't know but the you know the signs are only there because something had happened that they're trying to prevent right you don't just have like a random sign you can have a random sign but it's obvious that it was trying to prevent something that actually did happen so if anyone has any uh any good funny sign stories you can share that in the comments but um, signs only do so much. You know, signs are there to warn you or to maybe prevent certain bad things, but they can't, like, legislate wisdom and love. And I, I think this is an important, important meal. So here's how I would describe the main course in 1 Timothy 1. The goal of good teaching produces love. It is motiv motivated by a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. 
stand up to those who have disregarded the plot and are confidently using the law to split hairs and tell people what they can and cannot do. The law is meant to provide a backstop to gross injustice. It is the floor, not the ceiling. It can't produce love. It can only act as a guardrail for the worst of harmful human action. And then this is what Paul does. He kind of gives a sampling of the worst of harmful human action. I'm going to read from the message translation because I, I think the, the message uh, does a, a good job here um, presenting the main course. It's true that moral guidance and counsel need to be given, but the way you say it and to whom you say it are as important as what you say. It's obvious, isn't it, that the law code isn't primarily for people who live responsibly, but for the irresponsible, who defy all authority, riding roughshod, roughshod over God, life, sex, truth, whatever. They are cynical towards this great message I've, put, I've been put in charge of by this great God. So here is a, a good way to translate the Greek into the big idea uh, notice that Eugene Peterson in this translation doesn't, uh, is like really succinct in this vice list. Those who defy all authority, riding roughshod over God, life, sex, truth, whatever. They are cynical towards this great message. They've been, I've been put in charge of by this great God. So there's a sense of the details of this list are, are the seasonings that help enhance this big idea, but they're not the main course in, in and of themselves. And I think you, you would read this and you'd, you'd recognize that um, from this passage, this isn't giving policy wisdom um, on questions regarding sexual orientation or gender identity, um, or or marriage that's that's not the conversation that's not the meal that paul is preparing so then we need to say is it what's a responsible use of the ingredients that paul uses to different questions that we might be asking um, i think those are important big ideas to keep in mind now i want to move to the King James Version. So what I'm going to do is use several English translations of this passage to then get behind uh, the Greek and to, to see that a lot, of, a lot of the ideas that maybe modern translations use weren't in view a few hundred years ago or even a hundred years ago. Uh, and I think that's significant and uh, important. All right, I'll pause here. The sign, slow children, always feels a little off to me. <laughs> Thank you, Donette. Uh, cooking advice. Um, this is from Trent, I believe. Fresh bay leaves will work better than the dried stuff you get in the, in the plastic package. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, cooking advice or 
um, odd signs you can uh, post throughout the morning. Uh, here's the King James. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing, excuse me, that is contrary to sound doctrine. I use another one. This is the American Standard Version. So this is before the New American Standard uh, Bible, which a lot of you are familiar with. Uh, so the American Standard Version came out in 1901. Here's 1 Timothy 1.10. For fornicators, for abusers of themselves with men, for men-stealers, for liars, for false swearers, and if there be any other thing contrary to sound doctrine. So for abusers of themselves with men is how the ASV translates arsenokoites, which is the, the Greek word Paul uses. Um, this is a rare word, so it's used twice in the New Testament and isn't found in any of the Greek literature. So a lot of people feel like it's, it's a word maybe that Paul invented. It might be trying to translate Leviticus 18 because the Septuagint uses some of those, those arseno and coites in that verse, which literally translates as uh, male betters. Those are kind of the two words. Um, so ASV for abusers of themselves with men is how it's translating arseno Coites. Uh, I want to do another old translation. This is the um, Wycliffe Bible, um, 1382. To wicked men and to sinners, to cursed men and defiled, to slayers of father and slayers of mother, to manslayers and lechers, to them that do lechery with men, lying mongers and forsworn, and if any other thing is contrary to the wholesome teaching. So, uh, again, the vice list is enhancing the point that the signs or the law are for the backstop of the worst of human abuses, slayers of, of men. Um, so, lechers... Um, is what uh, most translations are going to define um, sexual immorality, the NIV, or was the King James whoremongers, lechers. Um, lechery, I didn't know what that word was. I had to look up. And it's excessive sexual desire or out-of-control lustfulness. Um, so lechers, uh, out of control, lustfulness in general, and then lechery with men is what Wycliffe um, designates. And I, I actually, I think that's kind of a, a wonderful translation because it gets to the heart of when Paul talks about sexual immorality, and this is the kind of the main emphasis in Romans 1 is the idolatry that leads to out-of-control lusts or out-of-control desires that then leads to all of these, these abuses. 
I feel like it's succinctly stated in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 6. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, which if you're a Wycliffe, not in lechery like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. So I think sexual immorality with men or women needs to avoid this excessive out-of-control sexual lust that then result in taking advantage of and do assault to a brother or sister, I think might be an I, I would consider an accurate way to understand Paul's thinking about um, immorality when it comes to sexuality in general, sexual practice in general. Megan says, I just saw a similar sign that read slow church services. Maybe these are a type of churches Paul is pre <laughs> preaching against. <laughs> slow That's that's funny. Or, you know, I think from a spiritual direction standpoint, slow church services um, are probably a good thing. Um, we're moving too fast often. So that's funny. I'm, I'm appreciating the comic breaks in a teaching like today. All right. So... Now I want to move to modern translations and see some of the things that are happening here. So ASV, for abusers of themselves with men, arsenicoites. Then New American Standard Bible, and I think the first one came out in the 1960s. It was most recently updated in 2020. Um, and all of a sudden goes, for the sexually immoral lectures, and then just says homosexuals, arsenicoitis, slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So I'm, I'm thinking of, of Becca in the Kairos program. If she read the, AS, the 1901 version for abusers of themselves with men, there actually wouldn't be anything in there of like, have I killed my mom or dad? Do I have out of control passions and lust? No. Do I have I abused myself with other men? And it's just talking of men. It's not even talking about women. Um, there, there wouldn't be anything there to shame her with in regards to sexual orientation because... Understanding sexual orientation and gender identity are newer concepts, like within the last hundred years. Uh, and we'll go into other reasons why these kind of things were out of view, but they just weren't on the map. Um, Paul, what's on the map for him is out of control lust that lead to all kinds of abuses of sexual immorality with men and women. So is it responsible for the New American Standard Bible to update this and just use the umbrella category of homosexuals, which has to do with sexual orientation? 
um, which has nothing to do with even a lifestyle, right? Now, the NIV makes a similar move, yet separates it from a behavior. So in our teaching a few weeks ago using Leviticus 18, and we had the forbidding um, to permitting postures uh, in the Christian tradition, the NASB would be a forbidding posture that saw homosexuality, orientation, and behavior as all deviant and wrong. Um, the NIV would be uh, non-affirming. So you can't help your orientation, but you can help how you behave is creating a separation. That is that in the text? Um, that's how they're translating. For the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality. So again, for, for, for Becca, if she reads the New American Standard Bible, uh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm being condemned as like the worst of all sinners for having an orientation that's in the minority. Um, in the NIV, okay, maybe I'm not being condemned for my orientation, but um, can I ever make, uh, have like a lifelong intimate relationship of f fidelity with another woman? Is that what's being condemned here? And then let's go back to the meal that Paul is making. The purpose of the law is not to itemize everything you can and can't do. It, the, the goal is teaching that leads people in love and wisdom. And teachers that are using the law in order to split hairs and kind of do shaming and condemnation are the kinds of teachers that might be confident and dogmatic, but are the kind that Paul is encouraging Timothy to stand up against. I want to pause with this story I've heard. A well-renowned Jewish rabbi was teaching a section of Torah to his students. He had them open the text, and then he stood silently at the lectern for over 10 minutes. A student finally interrupted the silence. What are you doing? The rabbi responded, I am trying to let the text speak for itself. <laughs> now, I love that, uh, and I think this story is a great illustration that any translating work is a, is a work of interpretation. So these translations are doing interpretive work and are speaking for the text to make a, a leap from here to there. Um, and do we think they did a good job doing that is part of discernment and why you need the choir. Because if you just say, I just follow the Bible, or if you've heard the Bible is really clear, it condemns homosexuality as a sin. Well, that's turning to 1 Timothy 1.10 and using a particular modern English translation to come to that conclusion. 
Donette says, I'm so grateful we're making our way through these passages. Thank you, David. I think of all the young people I know right now who have recognized their orientation as different than what the world assumed they had, especially those who have been brought up in the church. You're welcome. All right, I want to um, move... Um, to 1 Corinthians 6. So this is the second quote-unquote clobber passage. And again, I want to ask you, what is the main course that Paul is uh, preparing? Right? If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels, uh, of which we've talked about this passage before? It's like, no, I, I actually, I, I didn't know that. But there's like an obvious kind of move, like the, the people of God are supposed to grow in wisdom so that um, they can actually be a part of repairing the world and bringing it into love and shalom. That's, that's the goal, to make the kinds of decisions um, that make the world into the, the place God desires, right? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. So I just want you to think of Emperor Caligula, Emperor Nero from last week in their life, and to know that this like pattern of abusive, corrupt leadership was distributed all throughout the Roman world and in Corinthians. And Paul's like, really? You can't solve your own disputes, so you're going to go to like the the worst of the worst and then he uh is going to start listing out right a vice list of the worst of humanity and say like hello wake up is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers like none of you are like have grown up or are mature but instead, one brother takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. Um, I want to pause here, and, and again, kind of to the meal that uh, was made in 1 Timothy. I've heard so much of this as like used as a, like a dogmatic passages about never going, never going to court, like Christians aren't allowed. Um, yet seeing the whole thing of like, no, the, the point is, can't you wake up and be wise to learn how to resolve conflicts? That's the main course. This is not a, a law for all times about never using a, 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 a court system. And maybe sometimes our court systems could be more just than our churches. Um, uh, again, if you recognize, especially when it comes to sexual abuse in churches, of how many people tried to resolve it in church and it resulted in a gross cover-up. So um, believers have shown themselves time and time again to not be mature. And um, this is the meal that Paul was making and um, rebuking them for. 
The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Pause. People, thank you, Donette. You like read my mind, right? People have learned to not look to the church for any understanding, love, relationship. In so doing, many understandably assume they'd get the same from God. Perhaps we can help change that. Thank you. I mean, this was, again, the meal Paul is making here is the, the fact that you can't show yourselves to actually do justice to one another and resolve conflicts, it is like a horrible witness. Why would, <laughs> if you're retreating to even known unjust courts, oh goodness. So again, I'll start with the message because I think this is a good job of getting the main course right and not making the herbs or the bay leaves or the epizote um, the main course. Don't you realize that this is not the way to live? Unjust people who don't care about God will not be joining in his kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. I think that is, is just a brilliant sentence that kind of brings this meal into contemporary language. Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. Now, some of the, um, sometimes the languages inherit the kingdom of God. And so this has been used to say homosexuals go to hell. Um, again, this shows a lack of awareness of what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is not heaven and hell. The kingdom of God is life that experienced now that is that has an eternal quality to it, that shows yourself to be of a different kind and a different spirit, not of a spirit uh, of this world. Um, so those infected with white imperial patriarchy of which many believers are, myself <laughs> been included, uh, uh, don't you realize that that shows no inheritance in the kingdom of God? You need to deconstruct and decolonize your faith before you can actually experience the true inheritance. But you're going to these corrupt judges who use and abuse sex and each other and the earth who are obviously those who are not embodying the inheritance of the life of love. Hmm. So here's the main course. Are you really turning to unjust judges who have a track record in the worst of human abuses to solve your disputes? Grow up and get wisdom. So you can show yourselves to be partakers of God's kingdom. That's the main course. And I would say this is a meal that we still need to be preparing today. And I, I think that's some of what I hear happens kind of as people approach the scriptures. Like you either take the scriptures seriously, and this is an obvious condemnation of homosexuality, 
or you don't, and then the Bible has nothing to say. Um, so that binary, um, I think, lacks wisdom. I would say this is a meal that st still needs to be prepared. All right, so now a few old translations. The Geneva Bible of 1599. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor wantons, nor buggerers, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor railers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And I'll just say again, um, this does not describe Becca in the Kairos program. And it, it doesn't uh, take a lot of moral discernment to make that distinction. Um, so here, this passage uses two words, malakos, which uh, the Geneva Bible translates as wantons. Not sure what that is, but malakos is was a common slur. So this is a common seasoning agree, uh, ingredient. So I'll say this is like a bay leaf, commonly used. I'm going to say it has. It's a patriarchal slur. So that becomes interesting. But it's lazy, weak, soft. Um, buggerers. Um, and maybe you've heard the, the British slur, you know, bugger off. Is, is translating arsenocoitus, which was used in the First Timothy passage. Okay. So this is the, the Geneva Bible. We use the American Standard Version again of 1901. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Uh, King James uses this word too, effeminate, malicose. Nor abusers of themselves with men, arsenicoites. Again, it's, this, it's a, an abusive sexuality. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And I want to talk about this, this word malikos and the translation effeminate, which um, is not a bad translation. But I want to interrogate this word because I, I um, think it, it is a, it's abusive and we shouldn't, uh, shouldn't use it, right? Uh, wanton means without regard, unrestrained. So wantons are folks who behave that way. Um, so again, it has this lechery, <laughs> right? Could be, or the unrestrained uh, lust. Thank you, Donette, for looking that up. This uh, article in the Star Tribune was from 2016. And when I, I read it at the time and I immediately saved it because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is Malikos. And it's still insulting, but it's insulting because we are enslaved to patriarchal biases. So I'm going to call this out, and um, this is actually, a, this is offensive to me, um, that this is a thing. 
Vikings coach Mike Zimmer delivers hard punch with soft insult was the title of the article in the press conference following uh, the game. Zimmer, Zimmer said the offensive line was soft. Uh, and here's some of the comments that came after that press conference. Honestly, said former NFL tight end Matt Spath, I can't think of a bigger insult. Antoine Winfield, former Pro Bowl cornerback, no player wants to be called that for the simple fact it's a grown man's game. The game is really simple for the most part. It's man versus man. And, he, and here's the thing. Soft, effeminate, malikos is like soft meant feminine. Hard meant men, male. And in a patriarchal lens, the worst thing a man can be is a woman. Uh, and I want to say that lens infects so much, so much. Uh, and, you know, it, it happens in this vice list in, in the Bible. Uh, and think about how that, like, if a guy has a high voice, the effeminate will not inherit the kingdom of God. Like somehow that's like a, a moral uh, judgment. Like if you are using that ingredient to send that message, you are making a toxic mistake um, and you're ruining people. Um, and I would say this is the kind of teaching that needs to be stood up against. Um, then Ben Lieber a uh, former Viking player and, and sport commentator, had this little interchange with the writer of this article. What's worse for a player being called dumb or soft? Soft, Lieber said. A jerk or soft? Soft, Lieber said. Okay, here's one. A criminal or soft? Brief pause. I still think soft, Lieber said. So you're going to see the, the, like, the subtle or just like the misogyny that is unconscious in these feeling like it's better to be a jerk than to be called something that's associated with feminine it's better to be a criminal so anyway if you're triggered by this you should be and um it, it's and and this article floored me five years ago. And I'm like, someday that'll be a part of a message. And that day is today. There you go. Now I want to bring an example of maybe uh, today when we try to use an insult in order to insult or in order to change behavior. Um, and again, maybe Paul Menendez wanton, but it was it was a derogatory term that had a big, expansive range um, and really is a patriarchal slur. Um, so I don't recommend using it, even if it's in the Bible. Uh, so this would be my challenge. But just in the same way that I'm always learning about language and um, trying to change and grow and own, like, I don't... I don't, I'm not going to show up perfectly. And when I don't, I want to learn and change. So here's my example. A phrase used to alert white people when they say racially insensitive things or fail to listen or perceive racial injustice is, is that they're being tone deaf. 
And it's to try to like alert you to change. But I've learned like this is an ableist phrase. It unwittingly throws those with different hearing experiences under the bus in order to make a point. It is an insult to try to change racist behavior by insulting the one who is racially unaware. But, you know, it it happens in an ableist lens. So just as, you know, so much of our life even today is shaped by a patriarchal bias and men feel shamed if they're called women, um, you know, that's the same way that a lot of a lot of times I am unaware of my ableist language that kind of assumes able-bodiedness as the standard. And if you don't meet that standard, you're kind of less than um, and can be used as a way to kind of shame others. So I'm gonna gonna say part of this passage I want to interrogate um, so it can teach us about our own own language. Um, man up is another one. Yeah. Um, so my son Sam and I were listening um, to the Book of Mormon, that musical soundtrack, which is highly uh, irreverent, um, but. Uh, it is a poignant show in its own right. But there's a whole song called Man Up. You got to man up. And he's just like, Jesus got the cross and he he suffered for our sins because he manned up. You know, like it, it's like a conflation of patriarchy and being a man and not a woman is what is superior and awesome. Thank you for... Um, That phrase. All right, a couple more slides as we bring this teaching to a close. Again, I know all of these weeks have been thick and heavy um, and full. So again, taking a deep breath. Whew. Okay, here it is. This is how the New American Standard then translates these verses. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So then it, it makes an interpretive decision for Malakos and Arsenicoites and just says those with a same-sex orientation are basically in this list of the worst of all sinners it's irresponsible. You know, I, I just, again, I mean, it's like, just use one example. Uh, Becca, the best student in this program, <laughs> did not embody any of these vices. Yet, this translation includes her and has shaped uh, a lot of our understanding as default. Um, so it's even hard for me to do a teaching like this in a lot of settings in which they'd say, I'm the false teacher that Paul is talking about to, to rebuke. But do you see how, how irresponsible that is uh, and how devastating? And it's, it's translations and then teachings and cultures that embody this that make Brittany being like, I don't know how Becca could be in this program as someone with a lifestyle like that. Well, how can she make a link to a lifestyle? Well, she does because 
the translation has made the link uh, to a lifestyle. Uh, ungodly lifestyle. The most sinful lifestyle, along with killing your dad. NIV, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So again, the NIV has this non-affirming translation. The NISB has a forbidding translation. But again, it's that there's, there's no possibility that a same-sex relationship could be marked with joy, fidelity, spirit, and life, um, be better than most heterosexual marriages. That's not a possibility. Um, Megan, I think for a lot of people, manliness is next to godliness. Absolutely. And white manliness is godliness. And why that... Um, why critical race theory is being like reviled all of a sudden. It's been around since 1970 to kind of make people aware of this bias. But um, yeah, then white men uh, feel like they are the most oppressed group in America right now. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it boggles the discernment mind. All right. I want to close with one more example, and then I'm just going to review, and we'll be done for the morning. I want to hold something interesting up here. I want to start with the voice that in, uh, in regards to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, I think like the message does a decent job of communicating the main course and the seasonings therein in modern language. Do you need reminding that the unjust have no share in the blessings of the kingdom of God? Do not be misled. A lot of people stand to inherit nothing of God's coming kingdom, including those whose lives are defined by sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, sexual deviancy, theft, greed, drunkenness, slander, and swindling. Uh, first, I would say the one thing that I don't think the translation gets right is just describing inheriting God's kingdom as something that's only future. Um, so I take issue with that. But okay. But this combines malakos and arsenicoitus as one concept that they're saying is sexual deviancy and doesn't, you know, assign gender to it at all. Now, this is what I think is really, this disturbed me greatly when I was preparing this teaching because the voice, when it comes to 1 Timothy 1.9, makes a completely interpretive different decision. We also know the law was not designed for law-abiding people, but for lawbreakers and criminals, the ungodly and sin-filled, the unholy and worldly. Well, who are these sin-filled people? Well, like father killers and mother killers, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and homosexuals? What? So in 1 Corinthians 6.10, Arsenicos 
coites, is defined as sexual deviancy, but the same word in 1 Timothy 1.10, they define as homosexuals, next to slave dealers, liars and perjurers. Uh, so I, I, I want to say this translation here is profoundly irresponsible. And, you know, I'm just, not, I don't tolerate it anymore. Like, this has been used to abuse people um, in unfathomable ways and has been a source of making religion something that creates um, and elevates undiscernment. Like, it, like, there's a part of religion, doesn't matter which religion, but it exists in all of them, that can make people more stupid. Um, and this is the kind of stuff that makes people more stupid and undiscerning to know that, you, you know, your gay friends and relatives cannot exist, do not embody the most sin-filled group of people. It's just obvious. Okay. To summarize, main course, 1 Timothy 1, the goal of good teaching produces love. It is motivated by a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Stand up to those who have disregarded the plot and are competently using the law to split hairs and tell people what they can and cannot do or use laws to shame people and throw them under the bus. The law is meant to provide a backstop to gross injustice. It is the floor, not the ceiling. It can't produce love. It can only act as a guardrail for the worst of harmful human action. Main course. Main course, 1 Corinthians 6. Are you really turning to unjust judges who have a track record in the worst of human abuses to solve your disputes? You know, I'll just say this contemporary. Really? You're going to go to Rudy Giuliani to solve your problems? Grow up and get wisdom so you can show yourselves to be partakers of God's kingdom. And here I just list those two words listed in 1 Corinthians 6. Malikos, soft. I would put the cooking metaphor here as the bay leaf because it's a common stigmatized insult in the ancient world and, a, and apparently to the NFL world as well. Arsenicoites, I'm translating as man defiler. Um, the cooking metaphor I'm using here is the epizote. I mean, it's, it's a regional ingredient. It's rare. You might have a hard time finding it. Um, but again, these are seasonings. These aren't the main course. I mean, you can, you can uh, modify the vice list like the message does, shorten it, and you still get the, you, you get the main course. You get the idea. Um, uh, we use lechery or wanton or man defiler or like um, that you're, you're still getting these are the worst abuses but when you start saying this is sexual orientation which wasn't an understanding 2,000 years ago you're starting to make the bay leaf the main course and who just eats bay leaves 
So I'm going to close with the message because I feel like, man, this preaches. It's true that moral guidance and counsel need to be given. But the way you say it and to whom you say it, I'll add, and what you, you, words you choose to use to communicate it are as important as what you say. It's obvious, isn't it? That the law code isn't primarily for people who live responsibly. It's not primarily for people who are able to make faithful, committed, loving relationships, but for the irresponsible who defy all authority, riding roughshod over God, life, sex, truth, whatever. They are cynical towards this great message I've been put in charge of by this great God. May God bless the reading of the word and may the spirit of God increase our wisdom and understanding and God, would you forgive us for the ways that we miss it. Get it wrong or have produced meals that have been harmful rather than helpful. Lord, be with us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. So in this spirit, may we come to the table to the source of the meals that are life-giving, Jesus Christ. Taking a deep breath. <clears throat>